One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Early Work, the show in which I force writers and performers to come and read the creative writing of their youth. This week's guest is Ivo Graham. He is one of my favourite comedians. His last show was easily one of the best stand-up shows that I saw last year, or any year. And he also happens to be exceptional company. He's a genuine friend of mine. Guests on this show have all been lovely, of course. Some people I've met a handful of times. Mostly people, though, on this show are people I've known for years. But probably, if I'm honest, looking back, I only consider six of them to be actual friends of mine. Feel free to try and work out which ones. Feel free to tweet the ones you think that I don't count as friends. Let's start some beef. That's what we need in lockdown, isn't it? A good bit of online beef. But don't tweet Ivo, because he is number seven in the list of friends. Um, As you'll hear, he was an uncreative child at Eton, but would occasionally reach for moments to put himself out there. And obviously, uh, just as his brand ensures, they all end in humiliation. Uh, His work was some hilariously tangential and childishly dark stories about drink driving, storms, monsters, and frankly, Gary Neville. Also, as a child, he had maybe the most innocent and misguided view of what happens in pubs I've ever heard. This one is a big belter. Here is the early work of Ivo Graham. Joining me this week on Early Work is the one and only Ivo Graham. Hello, Ivo. Hello, Reese. How are you doing? Now, uh, for listeners, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, I'm just going to introduce you to the listeners if they don't know. Ivo is best known, probably, for the various gambling addictions I've attempted to give him yeah. from meeting after <laughs> gigs in various Leicester Square nightclubs for an Ocean's 13 roulette system or oh. the lockdown poker empire I have encouraged Ivo to serve. Wow. <laughs> so I was stealing myself for a humiliating <laughs> panel show appearance of which there are so many to choose from, but you've actually gone into my even more shameful real-life experiences. <laughs> and uh, and why not? Um, important to say early doors. I have, to be fair, blamed blamed myself for them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting this oh, directly on you. Oh, very much so. Um, and specifically with our um, joint efforts in Empire Casinos, Leicester Square, I think you started <laughs> something and then walked away through a mixture of um, intelligence, restraint, and not doing quite as many gigs at the 99 Club, uh, which <laughs> will very generously um, sometimes book you, particularly on a Friday and Saturday, for two or even three, quite close to each other, but with these slightly agonising half-hour gaps in between. Obviously, in the grander scheme of things, you're still, you know, it's a very short working day. But nonetheless, what do you do? You can go to <laughs> M&M World, you can go to Wasabi Sushi and Bento, or you'll do what I started to do with increasing regularity uh, in the summer of 2018, which is um, go and attempt to master the martingale method of doubling Absolutely. down at the roulette table um, at Empire Casino, <laughs> which obviously you can't master. You can just grow more and more deluded um, and uh, risky in. And I told my brother about this quite recently. 
and we'd we were we were playing cards with my brother and his girlfriend after a, a few drinks during lockdown, and his girlfriend said like really whimsically like like have you ever actually been to a casino? And I was like, have I been to a casino? <laughs> Let me tell you. In a, and I, yeah, I, casino. <laughs> I haven't heard that name for twenty years. <laughs> the the enthusiasm which I was like because I, I was just sort of thinking she's 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 cast her line out for an anecdote not even expecting anything <laughs> and she's inadvertently walked into the hornet's nest of uh sort of slightly shameful a haunted cool. expression on your face <laughs> as you crack your knuckles to tell this story <laughs> and i was like so yeah um this is method where uh, basically you even if you don't win at first you win second or, or third or, or fourth but, but the, the point is you win eventually and um it, it's you know it, it's just basic maths and I started doing it with some friends while I was gigging. And um, then actually I, I got so into it that sometimes I would go even without my friends. And I just watched their faces go, oh, uh, right. <laughs> oh, no. Is that, is that all right? <laughs> I said, no, no, obviously, I, I, I did stop um, quite soon, which, which I did. But, um, well, I kept an iPhone note of my, um, of my ups and my downs. Uh, just financially rather than emotionally, um, although obviously sure. they're entirely proportional to one another. And um, <laughs> and I walked away from the great Martingale experiment of 2018. Well, we moved on from Martingale, especially as we went into lockdown. We'd moved on long before that, but then we went into lockdown. And my first instinct is to fire up another uh, gambling ring and create yes. a, a, po- a chair, a poker group. But I would say that there is something fundamentally quite compassionate um, or there's at least a few more safety nets in a bunch of friends playing over Zoom um, during a specific time in history, which necessitates um, a slight yeah. sort of indoor mania. Um, I, certainly from my perspective, I've always been more fearful of uh, the kind of banter that's been thrown around on the Zoom rather than the kind <laughs> of money that's been thrown around. I've, I've gone to bed after more of those feeling like, I let myself down there from a chat perspective, then goodness me, what another ruinous night. Well, it's a pleasure to have you involved. And actually, it does link to this podcast because uh, obviously this podcast is all about, you know, what you were like when you were younger and how you tried to do sort of creative ventures. And when I was um, younger, about 13, I did try to set up a casino in my house and charge people one pound entry to come into my house to play really? which uh was nipped in the bud so i was going around school it was a half day at school and i was like right there's going to be a casino in my house after school i'll just i'm like i'm gonna make a roulette wheel or whatever and then we can play blackjack etc and then everyone was like but it's one pound entry because i was like come on young enterprise and then uh my parents quickly nipped that in the bud and said you, of course, cannot charge your friends entry into your house, you maniac. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I think that's hugely enterprising um, and far more so than my, frankly, like just humiliating attempt to um, A, get a gambling ring going and B, just have any mates when I was about eight, which was when um, I tried to set up a football pool um, at my first boarding school, Summerfield at Oxford. But we got a sweet ration every week, and uh, and the and the prize was my sweet ration. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? So that is oh, some some really on brand humility there. Like, no, no, I'm happy to. I'm yeah, happy yeah, to I'll, foot the I'll, bill. I'll chuck in my curly wordy for this. I don't want you guys to feel that you're putting anything on the line. But you know, obviously, imagine the triumph for me when. I predict all of this week's football scores correctly, and I get to get to keep my curly whirly. <laughs> you you get to stay where you started. So oh while your God. parents were like you're you know charging people to enter your house, my parents were saying you know because I told them about this, I was like oh I you know wasn't really hanging out with many of the people in my dorms early doors, but since I started up this football thing, and they were like oh that sounds. Um, bit gambly but uh you know fine and, and and what do you win and I was like, oh it's my sweet ration <laughs> dad was just like you oh. can't that sets a terrible precedent um, <laughs> and, I can't... and he was he was right to say that he was yeah, right to, they, basically what you what you need is a middle ground between you and i that's how to if you look any children listening who want to start gambling rings amongst their friends and we do encourage it mm. i think you just need to find somewhere in between the way me and ivo did it you can't charge your friends entry but you also can't offer I mean, that, 
my parents would have been equally angry if I said, you can come to my house um, and play in my casino. The prize is my house. <laughs> I think that was where I was heading with this. I think it would have gone beyond sweet rations to larger possessions um, quite quickly if I hadn't had that chat to my dad. And I'm glad that uh, that didn't happen. All uh, joking aside, important to say, I think, um, of course, that it is a serious business. And when the fun stops, uh, double down. Double down, just and then, <laughs> exactly. and then eventually you'll win. Google the Martingale system and have yourself a laugh. <laughs> now, Ivo, I've got to guess what you were like at school. Before we delve too much deeper, I've got to guess what you were like at school. And I did pre-write this. Because okay? it's so the anything first that's come up in the, the last... Don't skip the catchphrase on me. Well, you're the one person who has uh, asked why that catchphrase exists. Yeah, <laughs> so. and therefore I was excited to be on the receiving end this of it. This is series two, mate. The catchphrase is dead. It's getting looser. Um, that was a series one catchphrase. Uh, okay, Sorry. so obviously there's stuff that I already know about you. I know that you were a polite, courteous child obsessed with writing thank you notes, right? So I'm not trying to just repeat things uh, that I've heard you say. It's no secret um, what school you went to, and I don't really know what that's like. So I've had to go specific here. So... And bear in mind, I wrote this before you said the phrase sweet rations. Okay. <laughs> Literally, the first line is, I think you put fizzy drinks on a pedestal. <laughs> the Great. theory that it wasn't, the theory is that it wasn't that easy to access fizzy drinks, so they were considered contraband, which excited a young Ivo when he could finally get his hands on a Dr. Pepper or a Lilt. Uh, I think you also had a real taste for games. Sure, you got your Super Marios, but also your British Bulldogs. And if the Eton grounds had access to such things, Kirby. Um, what I'm saying is, this is a kid who knew his way around a Guess Who board. And don't even get him started on Risk. Now, earlier on this Skype that we're currently doing, in the background, um, this was confirmed to me as you sat in front of not one, but two different boxes of Ticket to Ride. Yes. <laughs> That's very on brand, and it wasn't meant to be for your benefit, but nor is it by accident, because um, I did force them into the backdrop of the latest episode of my pub quiz, where um, in just the most half-assed attempt to be some kind of late-night um, sort of talk show host, I thought, oh, there'll be different things in the background every episode, particularly during lockdown when I've been at my parents' house, and there's quite a lot of their old books and various other sort of, um, sort of vaguely quizzy-looking things. But it's become an excruciating um, pre-match ritual um, now sort of 15 episodes <laughs> in um, to an already pretty shambolic uh, a YouTube pub quiz having to find new things that could go in the background. So this time it was just two ticket to ride boards stacked on top of each other. Well, were you just to go back to the thing where you were big, was I right in thinking that you were a big gamesman? throughout your school years uh, or is that unfair to say? What I've written as well after, just after that is that I look at you and I think badminton. I don't yeah, know if I that's fair or not. Is right. I didn't. I liked Gamesman before it started straying into slightly more physical stuff like British Bulldog. That was obviously mm. avoided at all costs. Um, right. But games-wise, uh, yes, um, I have talked. I mean, you've you've danced very tactfully and carefully around the many many shameful bits of my adolescence that I've talked about in stand-up. And one of my earliest bits was about being as part of the Eton College Historical Board Game Society, where for a while. I did meet up on other fr on Friday nights with other similarly um, lonely-minded teenagers to play board games, which were based in more historical fact than your average game of Risk. Um, and <laughs> sorry, sorry. So to me, I was like, "Oh, Risk! I'll put Risk in there as a sort of a nerdy one." No. <laughs> and then you've gone with sorry actually risk is an embarrassment I've if you want to do some proper board yeah, games yeah, if you, you want to <laughs> roll a dice Reese, sure but if you want to get none of the... these soldiers were actually red head to toe so i don't want to no. play Nonsense. is that what you're saying I, I would like to receive the same amount of reinforcements of troops as my uh, country would have received at that point right. during the first world war <laughs> um in a game such as uh, i don't know um, I actually, I confess, I actually forgot about the Historical Board Game Society and me saying that you're a gamesman was based on your bit about um, scrolling to the bottom of Excel. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's bleak, isn't it? That's all, I mean, it's all bleak. <laughs> Is it, it, there's, there's more than you think in there. There's, everything's giving stuff away, Ivo. <laughs> There's one final part of the prediction, which is, of course, academically excellent, uh, slow to kiss girls, I imagine slightly discouraged creatively. So whenever you did anything inventive, you were considered an outlier. Pupils wanted to follow and teachers wanted to crush. But the pressure made you dizzy. So you parked it until uni. Um, <laughs> some stuff completely bang on. I wouldn't say it's um, 
Sherlock level insight on the romantic front. No. Um, but Oh uh, god no. But you mean, yeah, I mean I'm not it would be very rude for me to just point at you through my face FaceTime camera and say slow to kiss girls. I mean it's not based on nothing. No, but then ha- I can't imagine you've had that many guests who have said, well, it was very difficult for me to dig out any creative work because obviously most of my teenage years was went banging. That's not really the path to lead <laughs> you. I didn't do anything as a teenager. That's what's made, um, that's what made the prospect of doing this initially so disappointing to me because obviously a uh, lovely podcast with a lovely friend and a, and a lovely um, MO, but I don't think I did anything as a teenager really. And, and I don't think that was because I was, what was your expression? sort of followed by friends but stamped on by teachers uh yeah so an outlier that pupils wanted to follow and teachers wanted to crush nobody wanted to follow me (laughs) and i don't think anyone wanted to crush me either people very much had faith in my own ability to crush myself on a regular basis (laughs) and if it was anything it was the other way around in that um uh i was not at the sort of full-scale bullied end of the spectrum but i was uh quiet and on the sidelines and occasionally teachers would see a little promise and try and sort of coax a bit more confidence out but it usually blew up in my face such as in the uh, 2004 Shakespeare declamation competition um, which I was mistaken to win actually it was it was a net loss overall 25 pounds of book tokens but a, a year of stigma um, for... So wait, wait, wait! Oh, I need what's what happened? What what is this competition for? It, it the was benefit a, of the listener. It was a it was a it was a Shakespeare reading competition where um, a mixture, a, a very disparate mixture of boys, some of whom were doing it for uh, the tokens, and some of whom were doing it for the bants, would um, declaim a bit of Shakespeare to the school. And but but you really wanted to be on the right side of that fence, or crucially, not participating at all. Whereas I was quite new to the school. I'd been a term late, so I was already at a bit of a, a, a remove socially. And then my English teacher, Mr. Welsh, who um, I've actually been in email touch with this lockdown, but uh, um, I sent him an overly... Of course you have. Of course. He messaged out of the blue. I sent a response back that was too long and emotional. He hasn't replied to that. True story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Really, fantastic. really disappointing. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's nice, though, when, someone's, when someone builds a brand, it's nice that it, it, isn't, it isn't fake. Nice. It's nice that it's not a brand, is it? It's just, you, you're just honest about who you are, because this has enough, that's not, got nothing to do with an act or... No, I mean, not at all. It, I was, without this podcast, I can't, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have mentioned that. It's not, uh, I don't know, maybe you would have, but it just, it's just nice when it's like, right, you, you're living this character. You're not, it's not a character. This is exactly what it is the whole time and always has been. Well, I think there's a certainly a consistency to it, but I'm sure, you know, maybe there's a degree of cynicism that has crept in in real life as well, where I'm like, well, this has started to actually serve me um, relatively well professionally. So maybe I should just let it bleed more and more into my personal life <laughs> right, so that right. even I don't have to observe the boundaries anymore. Um, uh, you know, and, and certainly when <laughs> yeah. I started doing stand up about thank you letters, that definitely led to a real, um, trying not to use the expression, second wave, um, n- new burst of uh, thank you letters from me because people would be like, hang on, you don't write thank you letters anymore. I was like, oh, I, oh, I, I do. I do. Um, let me just dust off the old vellum parchment and then I would write a lot more <laughs> off the back of that because I didn't want to be accused of uh, playing it up. Um, for you know, Edfest Live. Of course, you don't want to seem un- you don't want to seem ungrateful as well. I mean, now if anyone's ever seen you talk about thank you letters and then they don't receive one, they're well, that's think what that I mean. Hate and it. actually, we we uh, when our daughter was born, we got presents and we didn't do thank you letters for a lot of those um, because uh, it just the, the chaos of the time um, sort of claimed that that as its victim, and I, I feel quite bad about that quite regularly and. Um, friends of ours who've had babies since and we've got them presents, you know, then, you know, a, two weeks or a month later, you get a lovely, sometimes a little bit generic thank you card back. But it plays on me and I do feel like a fraud yeah. every time I don't do it. So at the beginning of lockdown, <laughs> when we were all, even the parents amongst us were, were quite time rich. I got this email out of the blue from Mr. Welsh, who guided me to victory as Malvolio in the Eton College Shakespeare reading competition in 2004. And 
And I was like, I can't believe. And I have such fond memories of him. And, and, you know, hadn't received any even confirmation that he was still, um, you know, alive in the last 10, 15 years. So I was like, I can't, I'm not just, he's not getting a cursory two-liner. And I sent it off. And I thought, Mr. Welsh is going to feel like he has, he's going to feel very glad to have got in touch with me because he's got a three-paragraph special. <laughs> and then just nothing. I was like, maybe I... Maybe I've, I've gone into hard there. Um, I it, think it, it could be it's it's one of two ways, isn't it? Either you have got in too hard, and he, you know, has just gone, Jesus Christ, mate, that's a bit much. Or it was the emotional heft of the email you sent is still being processed. That's what you hope. It's still being processed. But I I think one of the lessons I have tried to learn um, in recent years, and this was particularly a thing I think when I was um, sort of sending. Uh, long messages to sort of people that I fancied in sort of the the, the late noughties, early early sort of uh, tenies was just that I remember showing my friend Ed an email that I'd sent someone um, that I thought that there might be some glimmer of hope with, and him wincing before he'd even read the content because he he'd just seen just block paragraphs. Oh no! Just <laughs> based on length alone. <laughs> and he, <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's brevity is the just the key to so many things, and um, and it's a so you went into this you went into this Shakespeare reading competition, and you would went in and you were doing it completely earnestly Mm. compared to as earnestly as one can do the Malvolio Yellow Stocking speech from Twelfth Night, which is laden uh, with dramatic irony. But yes, certainly in terms of was I taking the piss out of the competition? No, I wasn't. Um, and uh, and percentage-wise, I mean, how, what sort of percent of the people who were in the competition would have been taking the piss versus doing it like you? I'd say two-thirds taking the piss, a third um, trying to win the Shakespeare Declamation Prize. And But, you know, this was at an early... And I obviously hate to um, have a cheap pop at the even more scholarly Shakespeare declaimers, who, lest we forget, I beat. But some, some of them... <laughs> were lost causes already, whereas I was, I was still hovering on the fence of, you know, of, of, of social viability. And then it was a real uh, nailing my colours to the mast of, oh, I'm not ashamed to, um, you know, stick around after English classes, Mr. Welsh, for some sort of tips on how my Malvolio is coming along. Um, very publicly go to his house for tea, um, to discuss it further, you can imagine the kind of rumours that came off the back of that, and uh, <laughs> and then just to go so gung ho into the performance on the day. But then I look back at that and I think, well, it was it was public speaking of a sort, and uh, that's what I'm doing now and doing stand up. Sure. So the so sure the, the long term results are mm. evident. The short term results were they what you say they were? Were they what we expect that you then? were outcast and you it struggled to get in on the the cool gang as it, it were it wasn't mega stigma it was um it certainly wasn't the cool gang but uh you know eton is a big school and there is a huge sort of sea of mediocrity and invisibility to lose yourself in um obviously me- mediocrity if these things are all relative, you know, we, we, we were, we were, we were driven. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were... I'm the most mediocre student at Eton. I mean, <laughs> what a, <laughs> what a claim. What, what, what a, another moment of really tellingly mis- misguided sort of faux humility <laughs> from Graham there. Was creativity encouraged at Eton from anyone? I mean, was it like, were, were there people at Eton who you would go, oh, that's that guy who, you know, he, I don't know, do people get up and do speeches? Absolutely. Did they do comedy skits they'd made in assemblies and stuff? Did that... Yeah, there was a comedy society which um, where people uh, would do little skits about life at the school. And again, you, you kind of had to be someone even to get up there. But, uh, but it was, you know, obviously as a teenager, you thought that was the funniest thing in the world to see someone doing an impression of, uh, of one of the teachers in front of everyone. And then some people, you know, multimedia was starting to uh, play its part um, by 2005, 2006. And um, some people really got on that 
nice and early. Most notably, Tom Sturton and Tom Palmer, who obviously became uh, the comedy duo Totally Tom, and um, have done various more prominent things in, in the sort of wider comedy world since. But they were, to, to say they were kings would be an understatement. You know, they, <laughs> they did all the serious stuff. They were in all the serious plays. They were all in all the funny plays. And they also did uh, little video skits that would be passed around the school on USB sticks with new episodes of the OC and porn in a hidden folder. But the main thing was getting the new video by, by Sturman and Palmer. And again, just... Uh, I just didn't really have... Were those, were those about school? Were those skits about school as well? Or did they sort of branch into the outside world? It was mostly skits about school. That's my, that's my main memory of it. Um, which, you know, of course, some of it is fish in a barrel. But nonetheless, expertly shot. And, you know, a mixture of having the confidence to do that, having the, the fearlessness to take down some of the most uh, imposing teachers at the school... And even just like having the tech and the time and the and the innovation to just mm. go and film it around the place, I didn't have any of that. And whether that was sort of shyness or lack of ambition, I don't really know. But at school, yeah. any any attempts to put my head above the parapet were were, were grotesque failures. There was a um, there was a, a thing that we did in the boarding house every night of the week. Uh, there was prayers which I think back in the day was actually 50 boys praying together. Thank goodness um, uh, Eton has become a slightly more secular school in the meantime. So it's, it, was, it was just like house notices. But each boy in turn had to organise like a five or ten minute entertainment slot um, to lighten up prayers. And some people would, you know, do a performance of something. Some people would like do a little mini debate. And... I once proposed that we play a game from I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, a real Graham family favourite on Radio 4, where people sing along to songs and then they turn the music down and they keep singing and then they turn the music back up and you see if you're still in time with the song. And I was like, that would be a fun, like, you know, and I'm sure a few people would would volunteer to do that. And I'd loosely scouted a couple of people and people have been quite non-committal. And so I proposed it in the house meeting and the housemaster said, well, Ivo, you'll obviously give us a demonstration to start off. And in sort of classic giving my own sweet ration away style, I was like, yeah, 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 of course, of course. Um, it wouldn't, wouldn't be fair for me not to, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I sung my favourite pop rock song of the time, which was Vertigo by U2. <laughs> not, not, a, like, not a cool choice. And also not even so uncool that it could potentially become sort of ironic and funny like a you know yeah. a sort of rap or r&b song just quite an earnest sort of me pretending to be a 50 something bono with wraparound specs um going hello hello to rippling <laughs> silence because the music had been turned down and then he turned it back up i was out of time and the housemaster said i think that'll be enough actually <laughs> so i just sung a bit oh of my god oh <laughs> the end god of it. oh so, there's so much to unpack there i mean Really? So you? Why would the housemaster think that it was bad just because you weren't in? Or was it just it was a horrible experience? Because surely not being in time is the whole fun of it. I think, um, yeah, of course. But I don't. I think that's 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 the fun of it when you know Graham Garden and Tim Brooke Taylor are doing it with fifty years worth of comic timing. Not musical. <laughs> yes, singing a song like I mean Vertigo. It's I can't think of a worse choice. I mean, <laughs> it's quite they're quite long drawn out words in that song. He takes it's like there's not a lot of lyrics, and he takes a long time over a few words. It's also it, it, it ages you in such a weird way. It's such a it's such a weird song for a teenager to be into. It even was. though it was sure it was in the charts, but you too, and that just like it's just so dad rocky. That it was, it's just such a bizarre, I mean, I don't, yeah, they, I mean, they wouldn't get the rights to it on Radio 4, so it would never come up, but it's, uh, well, it's Radio just 4, a baffling. It's all, it's all, you know, sort of hymns or, yeah. you know, old sort of, I don't know, I don't know, other rustic like sing-alongs. It's very rarely, as you say. It can't be an actual pop song that you you need to sing. It needs to be a song that's almost a chant. And I don't think my housemaster was going, oh, well, Graham's lack of timing has been laid bare. Um, I, you know, we, we, I can't bear witness to any more of this. I think it was more, 
oh, this is quite hu- this is going to be humiliating for everyone who yeah, does it. Yeah. So even though it's doubly humiliating for it to be just Ivo, I think we're just going to have to sacrifice him. <laughs> to, to, to Collateral damage. people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're the, yeah, you're, you're the train dilemma. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. The, the, um, and there was another one where I was, um, I put my name down to sing Linkin Park. At a um, at a karaoke <laughs> social with a nearby girls' school, where all the other people who'd volunteered to do the karaoke were doing boy band, girl band, or mixed boy and girl band stuff with their mates, and oh, or, or as a oh sort of you God. know obviously as a, as a, as, a, as, a, as a flirting exercise, and I volunteered to do a solo performance of "Somewhere I Belong" by Linkin Park, and it just didn't get picked up. And I remember because I thought it was going to be the making of me getting quite impatient and being like. There people, but these some of these people put their songs down way after me, um, and only realizing, I think, <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, that it was clearly a much more benevolent decision by whatever te- yeah. you know teacher was DJing this you know teenage karaoke disco. And, you were spared. Um, and then I watched about a boy featuring uh, your yeah. I, I, keep, I keep wanting old. so so many of these stories. I are the plot to about a boy. <laughs> When when he thinks that singing in front of the school is going to be the making of him, and then his improbably cool um, female friend is like, they will crucify you. And then, and then he does it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I, did, I didn't even have a sort of equally deluded Hugh Grant to you know, come on with his guitar. What's great about that film, what's great about us talking about that film is that we both watch that film uh, and we look at that character and we see ourselves, but for two very different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) I would would change that for just looking like him in a heartbeat. So are we talking that these teenage years, just to get, let's get into the work. So am I right in thinking that, so you were creative at uni because you started doing stand-up and the work is from when you were a bit younger. Is that right? When it you're... is. It was from when I was um, uh, from the late nineties when I was at a um, pre-prep school called Stepping Stones and a prep school called Summerfields. And I think the, all of these are school exercises, um, so they're all in school books and they've all got teachers' notes underneath. Some of which are far more valuable to the exercise than the actual writing themselves. So what is it? So what is the stuff that you wrote that you brought? Um, so, for today I was quite obsessed with um, uh, basically I filtered football um, into uh, most things that I was doing and most of these exercise books have just got just endless scrawls like terrible stick men sort of kicking a ball through the air and the ball whooshing as it as it flies towards an equally unconvincing goal net and even the exercises that aren't meant to be out about it very quickly take a turn so I'll give you an example this is a, a short story that I uh, was given to write on Monday, the 3rd of March, 1997. And the title, which clearly I've been given, is A Windy Night. One night, when I was fast asleep, a thunderstorm blew around the house. Neither me, my sister, or my brother were awakened, though. We stayed asleep while the wind rattled around the house. But soon it died down and suddenly, as if by magic, the gale had completely gone. Next morning after breakfast, I settled down in front of the telly to watch the football. It was Manchester United against Tottenham Hotspur. The game was going tremendously by 3-0 to Manchester. Suddenly, Anderton got the ball and Tottenham's players started to cheer as he dribbled the ball towards Manchester's goal. (laughs) Quickly... Gary, also, great mental image of the Tottenham players not pouring forward in support, but just cheering. The players cheering. (laughs) The players cheering is so much fun. Uh, And it's in the solo effort. Just like sort of FIFA fans where they're just standing rooted to the spot. I just... I just imagine players suddenly getting out flags and scarves. (laughs) Come on, Darren. Don't get injured. So... Quickly, Gary Neville ran forwards, and soon the two of them were tackling. Then the whistle blew for half-time. When the game was going again, Giggs from Manchester handballed it, and Anderton lined up for the free kick, and Manchester's players gathered in front of the goal. Anderton kicked it at last, and it whizzed towards the goal. Neville leapt for it, but the ball went in. Too late, it was the end. Manchester's players cheered, and so did I. Then, after supper, 
when I was in bed, the gale started again. And that's the end of the story. And my teacher has just written, <laughs> I vote this is about a football match, not a windy night. <laughs> The wind is utterly irrelevant to that. I mean, it didn't have to be because you could have you could have quite what? easily made the wind the of, carrying force of, of that course, free kick. An evening kickoff at a blustery old White Hart Lane. There's and, no yeah. reason you couldn't have combined the two, but really you just went. It was windy one night. I woke up the next day, then I watched a football match, and then it was windy again. But yeah. there's no reason not to connect those things. It's such a shame, um, isn't it? It's such. It's in its own way. Um, it's so. It's so sort of ballsy and complacent of me to just turn it completely to my own ends but it's such a lack of creativity but you know particularly from the hindsight of a stand-up and we all know from writing edinburgh shows how the crowbar is your greatest tool when you're just trying exactly. to mash together those four completely unrelated bits uh, for your conclusion <laughs> just getting, getting any kind of connection setting any story within another story just makes the whole thing easier yeah you hadn't yet learned that skill <laughs> uh, and and the gale started again <laughs> so it's all come together it's a callback yeah. <laughs> end on a callback as we know always end on a callback um now i've got to say ivo I, I think you're the this is the most out and out pandering to me that a guest has ever done by literally having a story about a Tottenham match. Yeah, it does I did, feel I extremely like you've you've played into my hands here. I mean, we do lose in this story, but uh, it was the, an era where we would never have beaten Man United, so it is realistic. Is it a real? Was that a real? Oh, uh, I looked fixture? it up. That the desperation because I do think it's so satisfying when you look through an old diary and then, I mean, obviously, why would I lie? But. Um, uh, I've got specific diary entries about matches that I watched um, and and they're sort of real. So, for example, I've got a diary entry and some really curious parenting on the part of my dad here. Um, half-term news, June 1997. A few days later, me and Daddy went to watch England v Poland at the Aldbourne pub. Everyone, including us, tried to guess who would score first for England. I tried Alan Shearer and he did score first, so Daddy gave me £2 after the match. So my dad's taken me to the pub at the age of six. And again, lovely, the gambling theme rears its head. Well, you know what? I, I, I take it back. When I opened this podcast by saying that I had encouraged you to have a gambling addiction, uh, I don't think it's on me, actually. It's my dad. He's given me two pounds, which is like rather than just giving me my own sweet ration back. But um, I looked that up and that is a, that's a World Cup qualifier from 1997. So I really wanted the Manu Tottenham match from a windy night to be real but that's all my imagination darren anderson did wow not okay score well it's realistic United. imagination were you a big darren anderson fan it sounded like you were um I, he certainly plays a very dominant role in the spurs team um but no i was uh, i was a manu fan to my um great shame because obviously i've been uh flying the swindon flag increasingly performatively for the last um <laughs> well for, certainly for my the length of my career and basically for the last 20 years but in from 1997-1998 to basically just after the treble, I was a Man U fan and I was obsessed with the Neville brothers. Um, so Yeah, I noticed that because when you claim that when Darren Anderson takes a free kick that Neville leapt for it. Yeah. Which is uh, very much the goalkeeper's role. Yeah, no need for Schmeichel when you've got Neville leaping like <laughs> Neville salmon in front of Leaping. <laughs> Are there any other um, stories you were forced to write that you managed to crowbar in your actual interests? Well, I would say there's there's a few more of that sort of specific ilk where it's like um, Jungle Book and then, um, well, not, not Jungle Book, it's a real book, but, you know, it's something like, you know, a, a, a day in the jungle and it's just a football tournament in the jungle um, and <laughs> Gary Neville's there again. <laughs> so there is... Um, and then there is a, a bizarre story where... And I don't remember whether this was encouraged at the time, but a lot of boys from my school make it in and all die. So this is from... <laughs> this, is, this is from um, uh, an exam, I think, because it says English 2 at the top. And it's, um, and it's on sort of, you know, it, 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 looks, it looks like an exam. And it's got a mark at the end which, out of 100, which you're very welcome to try and guess. Fantastic. Uh, and again, I don't know what the brief would have been for this, um, but it's it's so uh, it's so shit, but also just dark and clumsy. Um, and it also it displays a fascination uh, with the world of nicknames, which obviously was you know a big thing of being a, sort of, oh, a schoolboy. Perfect. <laughs> um, 
So, hello there. My name's. This is how the story starts. My name's Ivor Graham. I'm a perfectly normal boy, except for one thing. I've only got three fingers on my right hand. Don't worry, I'm not a vampire or anything. I just lost it once. <laughs> what? You want to know how I lost my little finger? All right, I'll tell you. And there's a big old two-line space. I wish you all a very happy holiday. I waited for the headmaster's next sentence. Then suddenly it dawned on me. He'd finished. Yippee. I rushed out of school. It was the summer holidays. I joined up with my 16 classmates and we set off home together. Then we came to a fork in the... So this is completely implausible. First, I mean, we'd have been picked up from our boarding school by our parents. We all of course. Up. But in this, we've, it's the last day of term. I've somehow just realised this. And then it's a big old walk down the road together. Then we came to a fork in the road. A car came towards us, so we all stepped onto the pavement. Suddenly, the car, the fork, and everything else disappeared. We fell down, down. We landed on rock. We looked up. We were in a rocky desert. Suddenly, there came a roar, and a monster was coming towards us. I'd say just pick one of any of those things. (laughs) Um, It certainly escalates quite quickly, and then you keep your options open. I keep my options very open. and, And also, I would love a monster to enter the realistic world of a walk home but the sort of falling implausibly and then everything disappearing and then a desert and then the monster anyway we rushed down a slope with james muzz musgrave in front so everyone gets their, their sort of inverted commas <laughs> nickname in the middle um with these um these are real these nicknames are all, uh, these some are real nicknames they're all real boys from my year at school um we came to the edge of a cliff, but only Muzz had seen it. Stop, he cried. We all th- then we all stopped. Then Julian Harve, Harvey at the back slipped. Still one of my best friends. <laughs> ne- haven't called him Harve for about 20 years. We all <laughs> fell forward. Muzz tried to stop, but he couldn't. He fell off the cliff and disappeared. Then I suddenly remembered something. The monster. Go, I shrieked. We stopped sadly looking at where Muzz had been and jerked into life. I was at the back now with Glen Glenny Parr. I heard a guzzling noise, but did not look back. The monster, fatter than when we had first seen it, grabbed my leg. I took my pocket penknife out and killed it. Brilliant. <laughs> but then we saw that Glennie wasn't with us. We all guessed what had happened. The monster had eaten him. Now, I'm already getting quite bored of this um, exercise, and it's very formulaic. Basically, in an anticipation, I think, of the reality shows of um, the late 90s and early noughties, I eliminate my schoolmates one by one in a series right. of different ways none right. of them they get evicted massively imaginative they fall off cliffs they get eaten by monsters um lion tiger alligator but pretty much all different animals um oh quicksand obviously plays a huge part two people go oh yeah you can't, come on you can't have a you can't have a childhood story without quicksand no. two of them go in quicksand two of them go, yeah one of them goes into quicksand and then um and then Jamie Sums Summer uh, tries to go and rescue uh, George Limo Leeming from the quicksand and, uh, and, and meets a similar fate. And then soon enough, it's just me and Alexander Quaggs Clark. He falls down a hole. Um, meanwhile, I slay all of the animals with my penknife. Uh, and then um, I notice at the end that one of my fingers had come off when the bear bit me. And uh, and that's and and then the story ends, and then I, then I realised that was what had happened. And that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the story. Maybe I've run out of time. We've all you know packed too much in. What I love about that is that uh, it, the intro to the story being, you're probably wondering how I lost this finger. No, no, no. If you've got a story to tell, that isn't the story. Isn't how I lost my finger. I know that's the the creative element of it is to go. Well, actually, all this stuff happened. But surely, it would be. You're probably wondering how I've got this uh, haunted look on my face yeah. from seeing all my friends eaten by various animals, drowned in quicksand, and pushed off cliffs. But I'm so jolly about that actually, because I go through this whole escapade um, with an increasingly competitive air about me, as if knowing that you know hunger games style only one can remain so it's um it's really jaunty and i would say by the way that gets 68 out of 100 so it's a it's a high interesting okay i wonder i don't think i'd have i uh i reckon i'd have gone somewhere in the 70s so that's fair enough um what i would say is when you started introducing these nicknames right you first you started off with muzz and harv and i was thinking now these 
are not the nicknames of boarding school boys. These are the nicknames of Blazing Squad members. (laughs) Then, thankfully, just to allay any doubts I had, the next one was Glenny. (laughs) I was like, right, we're back. Quags, sums. That's what I expected to hear. Glenny, quags and sums. None of this Muzz and Harv nonsense. (laughs) Glenn Parr, I'm almost certain, didn't have a nickname. The rest have the ring of familiarity about them to me, but I've just, you know, I've, I've realised that that's basically the only constant in this flailing short story. Um, did you did you have a nickname? Um, no, not to my... I think the thing about Ivo is that it is... Very distinctive Vaguely name. distinctive, and, um, and Graham doesn't really fit to anything. There was a bit of Graham, and then a bit of, I'm afraid to say, Gayham, um at a couple of points uh not very yeah, good that will happen obviously um uh but uh, obviously everyone involved has uh, educated themselves since and um no i don't think that ever and then oh actually when i went to uh, eaton as a teenager i'd been at school in australia for a few years so i was nicknamed skip as in the bush kangaroo and that stuck around a lot longer than any name-based abbreviation Wow, Skip! I can't remember. I can't picture it. Um, no, I had a, a slight Australian twang, which I had desperately tried oh, to pick up. Did you? Because I because I was trying to shake off all the you know posh English guy stuff from Australia, and then just as I started to blend, Dad's work in the world <laughs> of insurance pulls him back to the northern hemisphere, and there I am getting teased again in the opposite fashion. Can I of read course. you some more? Um, uh, quite bleak stuff that I wrote um, when I was yes, in Summerfield. So we start to move into a slightly darker territory here um, with a prose poem uh, called The Drink Driver. Ooh. Um, and again, you'll, you'll maybe have your own questions, not just about my literary stylings, but my personal life off the back of this. And we'll see if those are reflected in the feedback I get from my teacher at the end. So this is written on the 9th of February 2000, so it would have been nine. The lights are on in the pub, and people are dancing on tables, singing songs, and drinking far too much beer. They're all grown-up men who know this is illegal, but they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and my teacher's just put next to it, why is it illegal? Which is yeah. bang on. <laughs> Get off those tables. They are all too drunk for words and completely stoned out. Wouldn't have known what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> completely stoned out. I mean, have you ever have you ever been to a pub, seen a bunch of grown men dancing on tables and thought, you know what, that's a real sign of a stoner, that. Obviously. Energy, the energy to be boogieing yeah, on a table. It is, the, it is the literal opposite of the kind of Friday night energy that I'm conveying in stanza one. Um, but there we go. As far as I was concerned, on the 9th of February 2000, they go hand in hand. One man's gone crazy. He runs out of the pub and takes a car. He drives onto the motorway. He's going the wrong way, but he doesn't care. It's midnight as he drives onto the deserted road, completely dark. He thinks the road's clear, but there's a car coming. There's a screech of brakes, but they're still going to crash. But he doesn't care. I hope you've picked up on the the theme of not caring. (laughs) Final stanza. The bumpers bump together. There's a shriek from the other vehicle. In a burst of flames, the car rolls down the hill to crash upon the ground. And the silly man dies. He he does care now. (laughs) What a twist. Conscience. Finally. That what a great advert for um, poetry. Uh, now, oh god, that that is so good. That's such a nine-year-old's image of what happens in pubs and what happens in cars. I mean, everything is wrong. So yeah, not to obviously again having already made light of uh, gambling, not to make light of um, these sorts of very real adult problems, but even within the world of the kind of sort of things that happen. Running out of a pub, hammered and stoned, lest we forget. Running out of an all-male pub, just grabbing a car <laughs> where the strong implication is it's not your car. 
and then takes just a car, takes yeah. a car, and then just driving the wrong way onto a motorway immediately. Well, yeah, takes a car. When you leave the pub, where are you going? Oh, motorway. Oh, you've sorry. You've, is, is it your local? Is it? <laughs> no, it's two hours away. Um, just, um, just pop down the motorway to the pub. <laughs> um, he doesn't care the whole way through until he until he's now dead and it's impossible to care he, and that's when he does that's care when it comes too late i love the idea that your teacher wrote um why is it illegal and i'm only imagining a panicked teacher who was dancing on tables that weekend going oh was there cctv oh, no. <laughs> is it illegal oh my. Um, is this how i find out <laughs> i toked but i didn't inhale is that okay um it now comes to the time where i must score your work Three categories. Um, they are, of course, originality, um, pure teen, horniness, and the Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score. So, on first of all, originality. Uh, I mean, it's I'd be hard pressed not to give it a pretty high score. You've done, you've worked very hard to um, crowbar your interests into right. irrelevant stories, and uh, I've not seen that actually very often. Most people do stick to the task, but you have really taken a tangent of a windy night to just get straight into Man United being Tottenham 3-1. And your imagery like Tottenham players cheering as Anderson runs through. I've, I've, I've never had that image in my head before because it is insane. <laughs> Similarly, uh, you know, managing to, <laughs> managing to describe a bunch of people in a pub dancing on a table who must be stoned out um and taking a car from the pub immediately onto a motorway. It's, it's like a surrealist poetry. It's actually just the, the um, padding and waffle of a nine-year-old, it turns out. but uh, and, and the adventure where everyone died. I mean, quicksand, I'd be harsh to mark you down for quicksand on originality, given that, you know, it was so ubiquitous as kids. It was, we couldn't avoid it as kids. It's still it bad, though. in the consciousness. I think, um, I, will... I think that my plotting of my classmates' deaths is, is pretty lazy from start to finish in the story of my life. Yes, finger. but... But the fact it's a story of a lost finger and it's not just here's a story of my classmates' deaths mm. scores you originality points. So I'm going to go four out of five for originality. Um, pure teen horniness. I mean, none. Look, Would you say none? We, we, yeah, I mean, it's negative horniness. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I've, I, I know you don't want to hear that, but <laughs> in fact, when when I knew that you were going to be bringing early work to me, I did think, I bet this isn't pretty um, pure teen horny. Uh, I didn't think it'd be quite this unhorny. It's all death. Um, it's perhaps the least horny thing in my life, Tottenham losing, and uh, it's drink driving. So mm. it's pretty death heavy. Uh it's got to be zero. I it think it's a zero. legitimate zero. I'm just, I'm pleased not to have gone into, into negative figures with that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be that harsh. And then Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score. How close is it to your work now? Does it show the potential of a future star? Well, I mean, there's definitely elements of um, of your vibe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, 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 the sort of posh naivety of saying a phrase like stoned out. <laughs> Uh, I could see you using that intentionally, ironically. Now, oh no, um, I'm not. How dare you? In a, what, in, in a sort of, uh, we were doing the drugs. I don't know why I'm calling it doing. Not the drugs, that, no, we? not that level. A little bit, a little bit better than that. But uh, yeah, I don't, mean, I don't quite mean that. No, but, I know yeah, what I you mean. No, from. it's definitely. A, well, okay. I want to say malapropism um, that I would lean into in my work. There is a line in one of your stories that I have heard you use, which is, um, hello, my name is Ivan. <laughs> I've heard you use that a number of times. Okay. Uh, the fact, yeah, the football stuff, there's there's definitely elements. There's definitely elements of it in there. Um, as you say, you know, the, the comic's best tool is the crowbar and any comedian knows that if you, you've got to get from one topic to the other, just go to bed and wake up the next day and <laughs> talk about that. That's what we all do in stand-up. Um, yeah, I'll go for, I think I'll go for a three. Oh, that's very generous. Three out of five for Mickey Mouse Club. So it's a seven out of 15 is your score. And now it comes to the time when I've got to read, I'll, I'll read you something. So uh, what I'm going to read you Extremely appropriately, I found this notebook the other day. It's got Roy Lichtenstein's uh, Wham on it. I bought it at the Tate when I was 15. Did you go to Lichtenstein? Yeah, and I would have thought it was the best thing ever. I I still kind of do. Because it's a cartoon. And in this, appropriately, I found a very, very short 
poem I wrote about poker. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> it's really short, but let's see. Okay, <laughs> it's not finished as well. It's clearly not finished. The first half of the page is taken up by a different poem um, that I've already read on this show. And then the second half is, uh, is this poker poem. So it's untitled. It just starts. What will become of bluffing after a million tomorrows of winning nothing? Sometimes my hand can't prevent me from falling the numbers which I keep on calling. Eventually, though, I go all in. And then in brackets, it says, don't tell, don't tell that my hand's in my pocket, dash, good shuffling. <laughs> <laughs> Just an idea at the bottom, but I don't know what it means. Um, but there you go. There's a little, there's a little poem about poker. I really like it, Reese. I, it, I, it feels like that should come out at some point on one of our uh, weekly poker Zooms. But, uh, <laughs> oh, the pressure. That's your choice and not mine. Um, um, there's a little line uh, just reading that then I realised oh, okay, there's a little idea there sometimes my hand can't prevent me from falling I sort of I just got that as I read that I think it's really uh, nice actually well, how old would you have been? I think 15 or 16 perfect playing poker at friends houses quite a lot trying to start casinos in my own house yep and most importantly understanding poker as a metaphor for the futility of life yes <laughs> What will become of bluffing after a million tomorrows of winning nothing? It's so on brand. I think that's such a good line, Reese. I think I've (laughs) I've got to say, um, I am. I think I'm easily seduced, particularly after you've heard the the, the not even attempts to make anything poetic about the drink driver. So I, I like. Sure. There's a there's a great line in um, one of the Alan Partridge books where he says, "For me, I'll always prefer a poem that rhymes to one that doesn't." It just suggests the writer has put in that little bit more effort. And I, I, genuinely, I genuinely feel that. I was like, God, he's done well there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just a five-line poem. Normally I read something longer, but given that we'd been talking about this um, already, I felt very appropriate to read that to you. Um, so I kind of, I need your rating just on that. It's not a lot to work with. but In uh, all three categories? Yeah. Um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, well, how similar? If, if you think you can st- stretch to rate that, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose, uh, as as discussed, you are making these kind of snap judgments um, across the uh, virtual bays um, on a weekly basis. So that's a four. Um, sure. Pure teen horniness. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a young gambler. It doesn't explicitly relate to romance, <laughs> but I'd say it certainly does a lot more than my. Manchester United three, Tottenham one. So it's getting a three for that. Well, I think that the the brackets is leaning towards a joke about that. Don't tell me that my hand's in my pocket. Good shuffling. I think is potentially moving towards a gross analogy. It's straight up to four. Um, And um, I mean, if not five, really. Um, Pure shuffling. Um, (laughs) And uh, I'm really sorry not to have... Um, uh, credited that immediately and the third category is originality um, and I would say probably uh, that's that's where it scores lowest by your own very high standards sure. that's probably a 2 okay okay I'll take that so it's a 10 I get a 10 out of 15 um, which plays to your 7 uh, which means that I am the winner of the episode but I vote some catchphrases do live on for series 2 and there are no winners. We are both losers. Yes. That will never die, that catchphrase. Um, I don't so know if you know that catchphrase, if that. you've ever, ever, got th- ever got this far in an episode before. <laughs> but that is the catchphrase at this stage of the podcast. Of course. But it, I still like listening to it, and but also being the loser, even within the losing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, now it comes to the time for you to um, play us out with your final piece, whatever it may be, that um, producer Neil will soundtrack... Uh, with either sound effects, if they're appropriate, for example, someone drowning in quicksand, having their finger cut off, or attacking a monster with a pen knife, or just lovely music, if uh, we need to hear someone partying in a pub. I'm going to read something, even though it's a tiny bit long, because I think it, it hints at, a, at the same darkness as the drink driver, and it has another great note from my teacher at the end. Um, and this great. is a relatively short story called Literary Enchantment. And I'll, I'll go through it as quickly as I can and skip any irrelevant passages. 
Jason Birkin sat bored in his seat. This talk had been going on for ages. He didn't like assembly. Every fortnight for the whole four years had been a lecture. <sighs> his mind drifted and his eyes drifted to the wall above the speaker's head where there was a notice. He'd never seen it before. In big, bold letters were written, We remember them, those who died at St George's. Interesting, thought Jason. He looked at the list below. It was written in considerably smaller writing, and he strained his eyes. The names were mainly from World War I and II. But there was one name under the heading, Other, Ian McPhee, 1987. Jason was concerned by this. The next day after the lecture, he asked Mr Vine, the geography teacher, uh, and the only one who'd been at the school since 87, about Ian McPhee. Mmm, said Mr Vine, Ian McPhee. Now, oh, he was a good lad, captain of the rugby team and squash team and football team and on course to be head boy. But then at the start of his fifth year, he got hold of this book, Golden Water, I think it was. He was obsessed and he became a complete bookworm. He lost interest in everything. He just read that book and then he died. <gasps> How? asked Jason. Oh, um, sorry, Jason, I don't know. OK, sir, said Jason and left. Asterisks to indicate time passing. In the next few days, Jason thought a lot about the book Golden Water. How could a book completely change somebody's lifestyle? And obviously, in the TV adaptation, that would be the sentence in the trailer. How could a book completely <laughs> change somebody's lifestyle? It must be interesting, he thought. So he went up to the library to look. He wandered around for a long time and eventually found it Golden Water by Alan Marks. He looked at the sign-in page of previous readers. There it was, the only name, Ian McPhee, scrawled in untidy handwriting. He flicked onto the first page and started to read. Chapter 1, The Task Ahead, the first of the 560 that he read. Hey, this was good. He slumped into a chair and continued. He read for 15 minutes, then the bell went for lunch. He ignored the bell. He was oblivious to everything but this wonderful book. Soon he was on page 48 and was enjoying it even more. Ten more minutes went by. Then a prefect poked his head round the door. Lunch, you idiot, you're late. Didn't you hear the bell? Oh, lunch, said Jason, and promptly started to read again. Hey, exclaimed the prefect, don't ignore me. Off to lunch with you. Jason went to the door, signed the book out, slipped into, into his gigantic pocket and went for lunch. <laughs> However, as soon as he was seated and the master had finished telling him off for his lateness, he delved into his pocket, pulled out the book and kept reading. He loved it. He couldn't stop for silly old lunch. He read throughout, then went to reading period. A perfect period to read. What a terrible sentence. <laughs> <laughs> then he smuggled it into games and read it in the lessons afterwards, ignoring the master's explaining decimal division or the fifth declension. He read it at supper, and soon he was on page 196. His friends were starting to notice, especially after supper, when he missed cricket nets, his favourite activity. He read throughout. When his best friend, Billy Richards, came halfway through and reminded him about cricket nets, the reaction wasn't the, oh yes, whoops, Billy had expected. It was, forget it, I'm not going. <gasps> this went on for days. The biggest disaster then occurred when he finished the book. It said, read the sequel, Slush and Mud. <laughs> Jason had to get this book. He ransacked the library, but he couldn't find it. He needed it. He depended on it. He went home and searched every library in the district, but still couldn't find it. He was driven into stress. He went back to school and it got worse. It drove him crazy. There was only one thing to do. He grabbed a dressing gown cord and tied it round his neck. He pulled the edges and slumped to the floor. There was, and this is a fantastic word here, there was a rumpus and people crowded round. Funny, said Mr. Vine. That's how Ian McPhee died. And the book seemed to chuckle. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Oh, my God. So I do apologise, because I mean, that is too long. But... Not... I mean, I, right, much like... Much like young Jason Birkin and Ian McPhee, I was absolutely gripped. And I, I'm glad we had closure at the end. No, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced. I approve of the ending. Of but, course uh, not. But also a bit like it, the Lost it, Finger. Absolutely no effort to convey what was so thrilling about the book. There's nothing. Yeah, just it's a good book. <laughs> it's a really good book. And if you can't read the second one, you will kill yourself. <laughs> so my teacher underneath has written a tremendous tale. Well done. But perhaps the suicide is just a touch too abrupt. <laughs> Imagine giving that note to a nine-year-old in your creative writing class. <laughs> you Perhaps the suicide. Is it... Well, actually, I mean, every... Except 
what I've learned is that if you don't talk about football, everyone dies. Yep. That's the warning I was essentially throwing out. There's a chronology to these stories where I clearly get a a quite sort of strong verbal warning to stop making my stories about football. And I'm like, well, if you don't want that, you're getting this. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Just two gamblers riffing on drink driving down the motorway to get home from the pub after smoking doobies and dancing on tables. What a sweet view of what it's like in pubs. And actually, I can tell you, having been to the pub with Ivo as an adult, he still thinks you're supposed to do that. Not a trip to the pub goes by where Ivo isn't blazing it while going full coyote ugly on the bar before hopping in his Ford Focus and swerving down the M25. Shout out Darren Anderson, obviously. Shout out Harv, Glennie, Muzz. Shout out Jason Birkin, of course. And make sure to check out Ivo's current work. Um, It's excellent and arguably just marginally better than his early work as ever please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already um give us a rating and a written review if you're kind and please transfer me 30 pounds on the poker app of your choice goodbye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.